everyone, and welcome to On the Safe Side, a podcast hosted by the editors of Safety and Health Magazine, the official magazine of the National Safety Council. My name is Alan Ferguson, and I'm associate editor with Safety and Health, and with me as always are fellow associate editors Barry Bettino and Kevin Drewley. And once again, we're coming to you from our respective homes as the National Safety Council's employees are continuing to work remotely. And wherever you're listening today, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We also hope everyone out there is continuing to stay safe and healthy during this time. And as always, we want to thank the safety pros out there who are doing all they can to keep our workers healthy and living their fullest lives, as our president and CEO, Lorraine Martin, likes to say. And once again, a sincere thank you for all of your extra efforts during the COVID-19 pandemic. And to keep up with the latest news on the pandemic and other daily updates from around the safety world, please go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com. In this great episode number eight of On the Safe Side, we'll do a deep dive into one of our stories from the October issue of Safety and Health. We'll also talk to a NIOSH research audiologist about how to protect workers' hearing as part of our five questions with. And of course, stay tuned for our pop quiz. You'll have the treat of hearing about some Halloween costumes from the past. All right, is everybody ready? Let's go. Each and every month here on the safe side, we will take a closer look at a story from the pages of Safety and Health magazine, which we call our deep dive segment. And this month, Kevin has put together a story about the growing importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion among safety professionals and in safety-focused professions. The story discusses why diversity, equity, and inclusion are important to workers and why they should be important to employers, and also what types of barriers that minority workers can experience on the job. So Kevin, go ahead and take us on a deep dive into this timely and relevant topic. Thank you for the introduction, Barry. Uh, Diversity, equity, inclusion absolutely are timely topics, given the number of racially charged incidents we're seeing around the country. And I'm sure many listeners are familiar with initiatives concerning DE&I at their own workplaces. DEI is a safety issue, and it's an abbreviation you'll encounter often in the story if you aren't already seeing it in your own workplace communication concerning diversity, equity, and inclusion. Really numerous voices in safety offered their perspectives for this story, and as always, their time and candor on such a multifaceted issue truly is appreciated. Uh, while there's plenty of data relevant to matters of DEI, it also was really paramount to the story to convey numerous insights and personal experiences from a variety of people namely those who are minorities in the workforce. To that end, here are some numbers that are important. According to data from Bureau of Labor Statistics, 77.7% of the U.S. workforce in 2019 identified as white, while 53% identified as male. Black workers comprised 12.3% of all workers, but represented just 6.4% of construction occupations. For Hispanic or Latino workers in construction, the figure was 30.4%. And it was 1.9% for Asian workers in construction. Early in the story, there's what I feel is a pretty strong quote from Adrian Russell, who's a construction program manager uh, who is black. And Adrian says, I don't think that we can deny the fact that when you think of construction or safety and leadership, and you think of individuals being in leadership positions within this industry, you still generally assume white. Other voices in the story really amplify the context of, of Adrian's words just by saying that when there are disparities in language or training, uh, there can be mental and physical barriers to safety, and that happens often. Um, One expert discussed the common psychosocial hazards that result from the stress that's related to factors such as harassment, intimidation, communication difficulties, and even job insecurity. These workers in minority groups 
often become distracted because they're not feeling supported or protected by their employers. And when that happens, it's just going to be a struggle to maintain focus on the job. The experts in the story also stressed that a meaningful change in this space doesn't happen overnight by any means and really do enhance DEI culture and workplaces. It can't be an endeavor that's viewed as simply checking a box. Industries and workplaces really must find a way to create structural transformation and just increase the acceptance and the overall opportunities for minorities in the workforce. And just, again, making that part of the cultural fabric in an organization or an industry. I would imagine this isn't something for which there is one tried and true method or a couple of tried and true methods. You kind of do A, B, and C, and you'll have a more diverse workplace in, in 10 days or maybe in a couple of weeks. But with that, where can employers begin to build toward establishing increased acceptance and opportunities for workers in minority groups? That's a, that's a great question. We'll quickly backtrack to those demographic numbers that we've given a moment ago. Experts stress that employers need to know that the issue really isn't merely working to bridge the gap in those figures, but to ensure that workers receive equal treatment, consideration, training, advancement, representation, you know, all the above, that they receive those in spite of those statistics and the disparities that are there. One veteran safety leader and EHS professional, I. David Daniels, he says that the first thing that an employer has to do is care. And this is a direct quote from him. He says, it has to matter that when they look around their office, their business, and they see everyone looking and sounding and thinking alike. If that observation doesn't matter, they can stop a conversation right there and move on to something else. So really, the, the point you made to begin the question, Alan, is this isn't simply a switch that you flip or you wake up and say, oh, I'm going to care more about these things today. It does take serious time and, and really inner reflection. And in some cases, there can be unconscious bias at play. And those are things that employers really have to reconcile and deal with. And with, with that caring just comes listening. Something else that safety leaders and employers can do is to be more active listeners and just foster a deeper listening culture within their workplaces when those workers and minority groups or any worker comes with, to them with a concern. When you read the story, you'll see a passage that discusses the acronym HOPE, and that stands for Honor Other People's Experiences. And it's used by a regional health and safety manager named Lindsay Bell when she discusses DE&I in the workplace. I hope nobody in podcast land is, is feeling bogged down by my reading quotes, but this one from Lindsay I thought was excellent and really to paraphrase it, wouldn't nearly do her message justice. So Lindsay says, when we say honor other people's experiences, it's realizing that your experience isn't the default and accepting that your life experiences aren't this universal baseline from which other people's experiences vary. So other people are going to have a different experience and reality than you. So you want to have hope because it is going to vary and it is going to be sometimes so vastly different from what your life is like that people have a hard time conceptually understanding what I'm telling you is a problem. And that's because they have just never experienced that problem. Well, Kevin, you mentioned that many workplace initiatives concerning diversity, equity, and inclusion are, are already ongoing uh, in, in many workplaces. Are there some success stories that you heard that you can share from, uh, from the folks that you spoke with? Definitely, Barry. To keep it close to home, I suppose, the, the National Safety Council this spring conducted a series of uh, listening sessions for employees just to discuss their views on racial injustice and social unrest. For me, that was a meaningful forum for sure. Not long after that, though, the, the council began establishing a diversity, equity, and inclusion committee, and it included representatives from across the organization. 
the workplaces who are, you know, maybe in the grassroots level of that or considering forming a committee of their own. The story offers some food for thought from safety consultants when it comes to the structure and membership of a committee. Another uh, endeavor that's mentioned in the story is the Culture of Care Initiative, and that's a joint effort of the uh, Associated General Contractors of America, AGC, and its Washington State chapter. I spoke with AGC's Director of Diversity, Inclusion, and Member Engagement in the story, and she said that the initiative really stemmed from the organization had recognized that there were certain gaps in the industry, and those gaps were just keeping the industry from being as well-rounded and diverse as it could be. The AGC has established what's called a culture of care, and the care is in all capitals, and that'll be your your acronym. But it involves uh, an organization taking a pledge to follow principles of DE&I through fair hiring and payment practices, through creating inclusive workplaces, and then also removing barriers to advancement and just empowering every employee to promote a culture of diversity and inclusion. When this October issue went to print, more than 350 organizations had taken the pledge. This is a topic that's multifaceted. There's there's so much out there. It's it's ongoing. And what we've discussed today and, and what's in the magazine are, are certainly some starting points. There's so much more feedback to be found by simply talking to the people in our workplaces and learning from their thoughts and experiences. In closing, the, the first step is for employers who are looking to improve the DEI culture in their workplaces. They really need to instill it as part of the organizational culture. They just have to care and listen and begin to build from there. Okay, well, thanks, Kevin. We really appreciate you sharing the, the perspectives of the workers and the experts that you spoke to and giving us more insight on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. And for folks who want to learn more about uh, this really important workplace issue, uh, you can find Kevin's story and many others like it uh, in the October issue of Safety and Health Magazine. Uh, you can also find them online. You can visit us at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. If you're listening to this, we're pretty sure you like staying safe on the job and keeping others safe as well. We're also pretty sure that you want to stay safe and healthy when you're off the job, and we have a great way to help you out. It's Family Safety and Health Magazine from the makers of the award-winning Safety and Health Magazine. Family Safety and Health has tips and advice on topics ranging from the home to the roadway and from your free time to your medical needs. Visit nsc.org wellness or call 800-621-7619 to find out more and learn how you can get a subscription for yourself and five more for your coworkers, family, and friends. Remember, that's Family Safety and Health Magazine. Living in the Midwest, I know that one of my favorite things about the month of October is the sight of fall foliage and also the sounds of those multicolored leaves as they rustle in the trees. For our guest today on the Five Questions With segment, October is an important month because it is designated as National Protect Your Hearing Month. And Dr. Thais Morada is with us. She is a research audiologist with NIOSH, and she dedicates her days to protecting the hearing of workers. And Dr. Morada, thank you so much for joining us on the safe side today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Thank you. We wanted to ask first, um, could you explain the difference between two terms that our, our listeners hear a lot? One is hearing conservation and one is hearing loss prevention. What are the differences? In 1998, NIOSH, the institute where I work, actually we are part of the Centers for Disease Control, part of the Department of Health and Human Services. We published a document making the case for, the, for using the term hearing loss prevention. 
rather than conservation. Because prevention means to avoid creating hearing loss. We put an emphasis on prevention because it highlights that no one should need to suffer any impairment, illnesses, or injuries because it's going to work. And, and because we know and believe that's uh, possible to prevent hearing loss rather than just conserving the hearing that you have. So where should hearing loss prevention efforts begin in the workplace? The best of all prevention strategies is to have no exposure to agents that can cause or contribute to hearing loss. That's a common principle in safety. We call it using the principles of the hierarchy of controls. And NIOSH emphasizes this concept of controlling exposures for all, all agents, chemicals as with noise. We have a web page dedicated to this topic on the hierarchy of controls. From looking at the evidence, we know that most successful hearing loss prevention efforts use this model, and they include several steps. One is the elimination of any noise generating equipment or machinery. You can develop a plan to take noise levels into consideration when you're making, like, for instance, purchasing decisions. Like you and I, when we go by a dishwasher, we, we look, we ask which one is the quietest. So this also would work for industry. When you're planning a purchasing plan, that you take that into account. NIOSH has launched a Buy Quiet initiative to help, you know, making these long-term de decisions and, and reduce the noise levels. With the machinery that you already have and it's noisy, then you can consider engineering noise controls. And there are many mechanisms that are pretty common to reduce noise at the source, like installing mufflers, changing the noise path, reducing reverberation and the vibration. There are also administrative controls defined as changes in the work schedule or operations. Sometimes workers can be scheduled to work at the time when the noise environment is less of a problem and also or limiting the number of workers that work in the noisier areas. And lastly, in this hierarchy of control is the use of personal protective equipment. Doctor, what do employers and workers typically not understand about hearing loss prevention and where do they have issues or challenges? That noise control is not a losing battle. I think there is a certain feeling that, ah, oh, noise is all there and it has to be there. But it's not the case. It can work. So the knee-jerk reaction to industrial noise has been, well, let's get earplugs and assume we solve the problem. But if you start investigating and asking input from everybody involved, from employees to management, most times a workable solution to reduce exposures can be found. And nowadays, there is this technological search bringing out new products to the market. So I'm hoping that, you know, these this new products will prompt employers and employees to look at their activities related to noise. With any other safety and health program, any intervention to tackle the problem should be evaluated because, you know, many people try different things, but do they really work? And that's how you get to a good cost estimate. And if, you, if somebody is asking experts for advice, people should ask for the evidence that the recommendations or a strategy really work. So what are some of the uh, most common hazards at work that can impact hearing? Well, noise remains number one. 
unfortunately, is very common in many, many industries. And what we are calling noise here is noise above the time-weighted average of 85 that can be uh, hazardous. And we know that such exposures are not only associated with hearing loss and tinnitus, the ringing in the ear, but also with cardiovascular effects and the risk of injuries. Now, when we think about how chemical exposures are regulated, all possible health effects are considered when you set a standard. But for some reason, with the noise standards, only hearing loss is considered. So, you know, you have to keep in mind that noise has other effects. Now, since I mentioned chemicals, I have to say that chemical exposures like to solvents, metals, carbon monoxide, and pesticides have also been associated with the risk of hearing loss, independent of the noise exposure levels. The risk of hearing loss can be increased when there are combined exposures, and these effects can be temporary or permanent, depending on the, the level of the noise, the dose of the chemical, and the duration of exposure. This double risk affects many occupations and industries, from machinists to firefighters. Well, Dr. Morata, as someone who's studied this issue for a long time, what are some new technologies that are coming around that excite you the most that, that could benefit workers in their hearing? Oh, many, many. In the past, a person needed expensive instrumentation and professional expertise to learn about their noise exposure. But today, there are hundreds of mobile apps uh, related to noise and hearing loss. Many new ones are appearing almost every month. And some of these apps can accurately estimate noise exposure. NIOSH did a study about that, looking at them, and some are very good. We also developed our own smartphone app to measure noise. These apps can empower the individual to become more proactive in you know, knowing their noise, knowing their noise exposure and managing it. There are also earphones and earpieces called hearables that not only deliver high sound fidelity to the ear by canceling background noise, but they also evaluate what's happening in terms of attenuation. And nowadays, there are many hearing protection fit testing systems that allow employers and the worker to know if they are getting the needed attenuation. Before, it was a little bit of a guessing game. You, you know you, you know the, the, the lab results, but you don't know if the person is really getting the attenuation he or she needed. But now we, we can objectively measure that. That's very good uh, to improve training so the worker has the feedback to know, okay, this is the level that I need. While we have this cutting-edge technology and I encourage everybody to, to consider it, you know, you don't need all that. There are still traditional noise control measurements like reconditioning brakes, reduction of air pressures, vibration controls. There are simple, simple technologies, simple approaches that can work. Many of these issues... I mentioned today, are, have been summarized in the hearing loss category of the NIOSH science blogs. So I would encourage listeners to visit them and send them your comments because they are like short, plain language summaries with links to more detailed information. Well, we appreciate that. And I know our listeners do. You also mentioned the Safe and Sounds Award website and some mobile apps that, that our listeners can learn about. Are there any other resources where folks may be able to learn more, where workers can learn more about hearing loss prevention? If you visit the NIOSH noise topic page, you find resources on how to measure noise, 
how to control, uh, the Buy Quiet program I mentioned. So you plan long-term how to reduce noise from machinery. You have hearing loss prevention. And also, as I mentioned, how to evaluate if an intervention works. Excellent. Well, Dr. Murata, we really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you so much for this valuable information. And thanks for joining us on The Safe Side this month. You're very welcome. Thank you. Well, Halloween might look differently this year, and I'm sure it's been a little while since the three of us have gone door-to-door in search of candy, right? Right? (laughs) But we have our memories of Halloween's costumes past, so what are our favorites? And I guess I'll go first. Um, I guess I should say that it would be the robot costume that was made out of, like, boxes and wire mesh. I have only vague memories of this, but I did win a costume contest in elementary school with this, but... I'm going to go with the Indiana Jones costume. I'll put that, I should put that in uh, air quotes because I really didn't look like Indiana Jones, but I was about five, almost six years old. And, and the reason why this is a special memory to me is because my mom was not there for my uh, trigger treat outing because my brother had been born a couple of days earlier and she was still in the hospital with him. So my grandparents actually uh, escorted me out. I was wearing like a red zip-up jacket with a hood. So yeah, again, not it didn't really look like Indiana Jones. I think they tried to put some makeup on to make me look like I had stubble. And I had a rope for a whip, like a white, you know, rope that you'd find anywhere. Yeah, that would probably be my most memorable one that I have. Uh, what about you, Kevin? In kindergarten, I dressed up as... Mario, the the heroic video game plumber. And incidentally, as we tape this, Mario just celebrated its 35th anniversary or Super Mario Brothers. But if you've met me or seen us on our uh, webinar emails, you'll know that I've got strawberry blonde or auburn or red, whatever you want to call it, hair. My sister says that color hair. So my mom, in my opinion and in the opinion of my other kindergarten classmates, none of whom recognized me, she just did a bang up job dyeing my hair black and just had the little tape on mustache. I've got a photographic memory, but I, I remember some of it, but truly in the retelling, no one knew that it was Kevin Drewley. It was just, who's this guy dressed as Mario? Cause they're used to seeing someone that looks like, you know, Raggedy Andy. So it was just, it was a fun time and Mario, re- Mario remains relevant, but in the heyday then it was, it was cool and just a really fun costume to get behind. And I also remember, I guess it would have been Halloween night and I, I don't remember whether we just came to school on Halloween dressed up that way. I imagine so. But I do remember hopping in the bathtub after the fact and having to just lay there for quite a while to get all that black hair dye out of my hair and get it get it back to its beautiful color. Barry, how about you? My favorite costume, I would say, would be in fifth grade. I had a really puffy snowsuit at that time. <laughs> I wore that and I threw it together at the last minute for this get together with some classmates, but uh, I think my mom bought a Notre Dame football shirt. Uh, It was the number 12. I have no idea who wore number 12 at that time, but I put the shirt on over the puffy snowsuit and it did look like I had shoulder pads on. So I was pretty proud of coming up with that one at the last minute. Uh, So that's probably one of my favorite ones and it went over pretty well. Now we'd like to hear from our listeners. Uh, Chime in with your favorite Halloween costume by emailing us at safehealthnsc.org or connect with us using the hashtag SafeSidePopQuiz on social media. We'll compile some of our favorite responses and read them during an upcoming episode. 
Well, we want to say thank you to everyone out there for spending some time with us today. And remember, if you want to keep your employees, your colleagues, and your family members safe, we have just the publication for you, Family Safety and Health. Each issue is packed with helpful tips that will keep families safe at home and in the community, along with informational articles about your health. To get a free copy or learn more, visit nsc.org wellness or subscribe by calling 800-621-7619. In the meantime, feel free to tell a fellow safety pro or a friend about this podcast. If you'd like to share some feedback, you can email us at safehelp at nsc.org and to find stories such as Kevin's diversity, equity, and inclusion article and all the latest news about safety and health, visit us at safetyandhealthmagazine.com. Also, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And we'd like to thank our colleague and sound guru, Chelsea Yang. Original music for this podcast was provided by Steve Maslin. On behalf of our team at Safety Health Magazine, we hope you and your friends and family are all safe and healthy amid the COVID-19 pandemic. And we'll be back next month with another episode to have more safety-related discussions, talk to trusted voices from around the profession, and hopefully make you smile. Until then, please stay on the safe side.